Welcome to King Size. King Through the Ages, as Stephen King podcast. For obsessives, by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Jamie Stewart. The Naughties, Part 2. Constant listeners, welcome back. Welcome back to our epic uh, king size king through the ages. We've given you the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and now we're in the noughties. So we've done part one, and this is part two of our look as we've just turned the new millennium, the new century, uh, new decade, all of that. And we're seeing what King provides us with. Uh, and of course, I am joined by my wonderful partner in crime for these uh, for these episodes, Jamie. Hey, Jamie, you okay, buddy? Yes, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Very cool. And you're not alone there, are you, in the studio? You, you've got some company as well. I do. Uh, some company keep me warm. I've got my two Cocker Spaniels, Poppy and Henry. Yeah. Stephen King fans himself. <laughs> brilliant. Well, listen, they are more than welcome. And of course, at any moment they want to share their thoughts and insights, then brilliant. And I'll get Ozzy to come down as well, because, uh, yeah, the, the, the dogs are going to have some thoughts, right? <laughs> where where are we going to in this episode? What are, What are we looking at? Well, we're kicking things off since we're doing the noughties in chronological order. The next one we have to talk about is Everything's Eventual, which is Stephen King's next uh, short story collection. One of two that he would release in this decade um, and his fourth one overall for short stories alone. And we talked about in the last episode about how King has come back from the accident and his driving focus, his motivation is to tell the Dark Tower to get to the end of that journey for Roland and the Catat. And the interesting thing is even this short story effect, uh, short story collection is affected by that desire because in this we've got two stories that are uh, directly related to the Dark Tower, with the first one being um, The Little, Ser- Little Sisters of Valyria, uh, which is Roland. Um, it's a story that's a prequel to even The Gunslinger. This is a story that happens before uh, that novel where... Uh, Roland finds himself in a spot of trouble with some vampires. It's nice that it's kind of like a set. He's a by himself. He doesn't have the rest of his partnership that he would let her, later go on to, you know, create. So it's kind of nice to just. I think this is when he does it when it suits him best is have a short story where he can be a badass in. And uh, it's also interesting. This story comes directly. Well, I don't know what time this was written because obviously this is a short story collection, but the. He Roland is injured throughout the course of the story, and he's been looked after what by um, a group of women who are who turn out to be vampires and are drinking his blood. But he's also being healed by um, these doctor bugs that are like regenerating his flesh. But the place that they're in this pavilion is referenced in Black House. It's a place that Jack Sawyer and the characters spend some time there, and you kind of get the sense that this is in Black House that 
what happens in the story happened beforehand. So the the you know the outcome of this short story um, is where Black House begins, sort of thing, when they go to that situation, which is interesting. Where where would you rate everything's eventual with you know in the pantheon of of Stephen King's short story collections? Well, uh, as a short story collection, my initial reaction to this collection, I tried to read this the first time uh, on a car journey up through Scotland, and um, it was terrible because um, the, the whoever was driving the car had not thought of the foresight to put any petrol in it. So we were trying to find a petrol station on the A9 in the middle of the highlands before the car ran out of juice. And I was just using the stories to distract myself from this dilemma. <laughs> and I wasn't really enjoying it because of that situation. But having reread it recently, you know, I really enjoyed you know, there's some stories in this. Of course, I I didn't. They didn't catch me. They didn't work on me. But the other ones, I I did enjoy. Like you know, as I say, little series, Sisters of Valeria is one is my favorite out of the uh, out of the collection. And I also really enjoyed um, a, a Topsy Room Four, um, yeah. which is the first one. Uh, a nice bit of sort of slapstick territory. Well, it doesn't start out a slapstick, but it ends at about a man who is in a not well he he's he's believed to be dead he has been hit bitten by a snake and he's in the in the mortuary about to be you know autopsied but he is awake and alert and hearing all these people and uh the the way that he gets the people in the uh, the morticians to realize that he is alive is to is to have an erection <laughs> because uh, <laughs> one of the morticians a female one is holding him in a certain way that causes that and um and for me I actually think I, I did like the story a lot, but that sort of slapstick moment at the end, it's tacked on at the end. And um, I really uh, think that it would have been better if maybe it had been a bit more sort of brutal and, and played it straight and narrow, whereas, you know, it's like the actually come down with the buzzsaw. Yeah. I believe they're going to crack his, his <clears throat> chest open. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's nice to have like a pulpy, fun King read because after the 90s, it kind of felt like we were getting away from like the pulpy King stories of like mm-hmm. Night Shift and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, where he sort of, he, he you know, work, where he began sort of thing, mm-hmm. because all the 90s stuff had such seriousness. We talked about like Desperation, which is a novel that's like a horror novel for King, but it still has this big overarching thought on, you know, God and religion and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's just nice to get back to some of these stories that are like a bit more pulpy, like the man in the black suit about a young boy who meets the devil. Apart, you know, you're led to believe while fishing one day. Mm. Really, really creepy. There's other stories that didn't hit really hard for me, like um, the death of Jack Hamilton, um, mm. which is King trying to be like a, a, trying to do a gangster story, and uh, uh, very similar to sort of what's in Blaze. But for me, I just, I just, I don't, I didn't. I don't really think of King as writing gangsters or being a gangster writer. So this is one for me that just that didn't work. But um, there's other great stuff in here. Like, so the title story itself, Everything's Eventual, is a very, a very strange tale, but it's also so heavily influenced by the Dark Tower. It's about a person who has a certain shine ability, an ability to write emails he, he composes messages in a sort of language that even he doesn't understand and he sends them off to people and when the people read them they die and he's been employed by the crimson king to do this and for whatever reason what he's doing is directly affecting the beams and directly hindering roland's pro, uh, roland's pro, uh, progress mm. and it's a really interesting story and that character later comes into the dark tower um at a later date which i enjoy i enjoyed that very much 
Um, so, yeah. So the Dark Tower is still it's still got its claws within this. I mean, the, these are you know the first collection of stories King published since Nightmares and Dreamscapes, mm-hmm. uh, nine years previously. So it's his first short story collection, uh, uh, you know, of, of this new uh, century, this new millennium. Um, and there were a couple of those stories, aren't there, Jamie? Um, one which is Riding the Bullet, which is in this collection, mm-hmm. and he released that uh, as an ebook which yeah. attracted over half a million online readers and became the most famous and most read uh, online story of the decade now again king way ahead ahead of that trend right absolutely and you i would like to know like how much can we put down to the fact that kindle books and eu mm. books are reading are down to the success of this one thing i mean i don't think publishers would have taken the gamble on this electronic kind of device if something hadn't been as successful as that yeah. as king taken it and king is you know we've gone through the night the 90s and we've talked about how king loves different avenues of publishing like um green mile was published in six parts desperation regulators two books that marry each other same with dolores and and, and jared's game he was always sort of interest he was creative in more ways than just inside the story he was always sort of trying to push the the envelope of being creative in terms of like yeah. marketing stories. I think that you know he talks about he never wants to. You said it yourself. He talked about how he never wants to do the same thing again or rehash old ideas. I think with the same thing with publishing stories, he's always interested in sort of trying to look at new avenues. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I that, and Riding Bullet is one of the stories I really enjoyed as well. There are great stories in this collection, like one um, one four oh eight is in this collection. One that's like, right, yeah, an absolutely haunting fever dream of a story. And uh, you know the movie's great. I don't know how you stand the movie. I like the movie, but the the short story it's such a surreal fever dream. You can't even really comprehend it. For those that don't know, it's a story of a man, a, a horror writer who who you know goes into these places that are supposedly haunted and exposes them as not being haunted. And he goes into this room in the Dolphin Hotel in New York, and it turns out it's surreally haunted. And it's not like ghosts like we would see in The Shining or like an overly weird presence. He just be it just everything strange. He just the the you know the reality just begins to slip, and you could almost say in a sense that this is a haunted house. A haunted story, a haunted hotel room story that is that couldn't be written without the dark tower because King is so I feel like King is so obsessed with finishing the tower at the point at this point that everything is affected by it because all that sort of history of thinnies that he has, it feels like there's just a thinny inside room yeah. 1408. Um, so there is, and it's just bleeding through, like all these realities are bleeding through and into it. And it, it's the same way that the dark tower is sort of bleeding into everything King mm-hmm. is writing at the moment. Yeah. Time. Yeah, you just can't escape it. And and also that bleeding of pain. We spoke about, you know, on, as the back of the accident in, you know, 1999, how Dreamcatcher you know, nearly called cancer, a book that's just absolutely riddled with physical pain. And I, I get that with this collection as well, um, from, from that physicality of in Lunch at the Gotham Cafe that is a standout for me. 
um yeah this guy who is really stretched to breaking point and he's trying to give up smoking and he's got these blinding headaches and he is trying to just hold everything together and 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 then this absolute perfect storm of violence erupts yeah and from that to the road virus heads north to, oh i'm glad you mentioned that one oh <laughs> lo- love that one to, to also in the death room i mean you know which really you know lives up to its title these are books mm. dealing with um physical pain and the body being put under huge stress and people choosing to put that those stress down you know the gotham cafe in particular is one where you know just these this couple happened to be again wrong place wrong time the fragility of life how bad things happen to people that don't deserve it and i really see that bleeding through in this collection of stories yeah yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Even like um the story, um all you was it all that you love will be carried away. There's such a bleakness yeah. to that story, you know, middle-aged salesman Alfie who's on the road and you know he has a secret obsession with strangely you know a very strange obsession with graphic um uh, roadside graffiti, which he keeps a wee diary of and writes all this stuff down, and you sort of like you you really get a sense of this guy's isolation in life. And he, basically the story is he's at the point of suicide and he's leaving it up to fate where there, what is it? There's a house in the distance and if a light winks on in the next five minutes, I won't do it or something like that. And <laughs> But there's such a bleakness, the way that it's depicted. You can't, you kind of get the sense that King, that only someone in a very dark place of mind could write such a story or know such a dark place. Yeah. You know, that, that's not a type of story. All that you will, all that you love will be carried away is not the type of story that would feature in, that doesn't feature in any of the King collections before, you know, not that type of story, certainly. Mm. And it's something new and something different. And, it, and you get the sense in this, I feel with all the books that we've talked about so far, um, you know, Black House, Dreamcatcher, he is working through something you know whether it be the recovery of his injuries and the recovery of you know you know just starting again really it would feel like i suppose after that awful accident yeah absolutely and even the fact jamie that this one you know everything's eventual colon 14 dark tales that's its official title (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. these are dark tales for uh, you know dark times so the next one is from a buick 8 by stephen king his second uh, novel about a spooky car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He loves his cars. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he, yeah. Even after what happened, right? <laughs> yeah, and it was, so you're talking about what happened. You know, this story. I know. I do know that the part of the story, or a version of it, was written before the accident. But yeah. I do think that the that a revision has happened in between them because this story opens with a the death of a, of of a main character or the main character's father. And it's told in such a way he dies, you know, by the side of a road doing his job as a state trooper. Mm. He, I think he's looking at the wheels of, um, of a semi truck or something like that, that look like yeah. they're baldy. And somebody comes along a drunk driver and, uh, kills him and you get such there is such detail in the body horror in that opening section, you know, King does not shy away mm. from, the pain and the harm that happens to his body as he is, you know, hit by this car. And um, and that's how it begins. And that opens up. And I don't think, you know, that's an opening that would only exist from someone that had gone through what he's gone through. It, it really does, <clears throat> again, just hit so hard, that opening. And 
I, I mean, absolutely. It feels like he's pulling on that that experience. And I, I want to share with you something I read about it, which, you know, that quote that he has in, um, I believe it's on writing, you know, put your desk in the corner. And every time that you sit down there to write, remind yourself why it isn't in the middle of the room. Life isn't a support system for art. It's the other way around. But this aspect of his life and what he's gone through, it can't help but bleed through. And as you said, you know, that first draft written before the accident, but then there's the second drafts definitely sharpened after what happened. Um, and, you know, it's a book that came out of his experience, right? With that accident that almost killed him. I mean, there's no, can't be any coincidence again, that this is the story he wants to tell of this car, you know, that is haunted, that has a life of its own, um, mm. that, 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 that does, um, affect everyone who comes into contact with it. And yeah. right from the beginning, as you say, in the accident that we see, it, it's, you know, someone doing a good deed, someone doing their job. And then this happens to them, this brutality. Um, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right there. But that's that's what I would let, what I wanted to talk about with this sort mm. of going forward with King. There's a very interesting thread that goes through some of his books here. And it's almost nihilistic in, uh, you know, yeah. good things can happen to good or bad things can happen to good people at any yep. moment. Yep. The world has teeth. And, you know, that's a, that's a line, obviously, from Tom Gordon. But if you read that book, and yes, absolutely. You know, I was I was listening to our back to our episode on it. I did feel that there is a point, you know, there is an a bit in that book where you don't know if Trish is going to survive. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that King didn't know that as well. But maybe he wasn't fully aware of the ramifications of what would happen while he was writing that, of what would happen if Trish didn't. But in these books that are coming out now, like the thread that runs through this one in particular is that there isn't an answer sometimes. No matter how much you search or how much you feel like you're going to crack the case of this particular mystery, the mystery of this car, life doesn't give you the answers. And it's very frustrating for so. And like life doesn't explain why this drunk character who gets away with the murder of this young boy whose name's Ned, uh, the murder of his father, uh, you know, a manslaughter because it is an accidental, uh, mm. it's an accident. You know, he can't look and say, that drunk's out there walking free and my father's dead. My father, who was a good man, who did good yeah. deeds, who worked on the police force. And this is kind of like that nihilistic thread that I've begun to notice in his work right about now, that it's like sometimes there is no answers. And a lot of King yeah. fans don't like those endings. I've noticed there's a lot of, there's a lot of, resentment in these books in from a Buick gate and a later book that I'll, we'll talk about at a later point where you know king doesn't give an answer he doesn't tie everything up in a yeah. neat little bow uh, in these books going forward and i think that's because he almost had his own life taken away and you were right you know we talked about last episode you know the little things that he was thinking about did i if i walk if i went out my walk five minutes earlier five minutes later if i took tabby with me you know if i chose a different route all these different variables that you know could have happened to him and didn't and he ended up you know in this absolute place where you know he was on death's door and then when he left death's door he was still in a huge amount of pain and coping with that so it sort of made him have, I think it's affected the hope that we normally have in mm. King book. Mm. Um, there's always been that, I said there's bleak books and hopeful books and most yeah. of them have been hopeful. But with King, there just seems to be this, there is a, there is a outlook here that is more on the bleaker side of things. Yeah, I I hear you absolutely. And that lack of, 
giving answers to these questions. I mean, it says it in the book's cover sleeve from a Buick eight is a novel about our fascination with deadly things about Mm. our insistence on answers when there are none about terror and courage in the face of the unknowable. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's king i mean and that's so many of us can relate to that you know the uh, hang on there has to be a reason for this there's got to be an answer but life is crazily random right and you don't um have to have been you, you a smoker in any way to get cancer it's just the dice that life throws right if you're looking for answers to some of these questions and some of this rage and bitterness, uh, they're not there. So I agree it's nihilistic, but it's almost him just saying, look, this is the way I see life right now. Um, So I find there's less comfort. And I think that definitely took a while for people to adjust to that because it's less of the maybe um, escapism. Yeah, it's a bit more reality within your mm. fiction that you're fiction that you're not uh, not used to, and um, it yeah there could be sort of a a tension or a friction there to experience in that because we're used to in our fiction everything being sweeped under the rug or at least you know yeah. you know the characters come out in the other side of some event and they're stronger for it. And within from a Buick Eight, that actually doesn't happen. I mean, yeah, um, we have you know, there, and there's there's some like um. So the overall premise is Ned finds that there is a haunted car or a car that has a certain level of mystery about it within Shed B within this state trooper building, and his father was particularly obsessed about proving where it came from and what was about it. And it looks like a normal Buick, except when you look closely, there are things in it that don't make sense, like the engine couldn't work and things like that. The way it's designed and also things come out of the things come out of the car when it's been left alone there's things like lightning storms that happen and within shed b as if lightning's coming from the car mm-hmm. and there are other times where creatures come out of the boot and then there are even more times when people go missing i think it chimes with a really turbulent time you know because king at the time of doing the uh, from a buick eight um publicity tour said, I can't imagine retiring from writing. What I can imagine doing is retiring from publishing. If I wrote something that I thought was worth publishing, I'd publish it. But in terms of publishing stuff on a yearly basis, the way I have been, I think those days are pretty much over. From a Buick 8, so far as I know, is the last Stephen King novel per se, in terms of it just being a novel novel. (laughs) <laughs> and so, which is hilarious compared to whatever that was you know how many i'm looking at my shelf well exactly it's, uh, that's books. a complete that's a complete fabrication i mean like you published a book a year uh i've got the stats here only skipping 2010 for the next 13 years and he published <laughs> two books in 2004 six 13 and 14 <laughs> um but yeah absolutely but i will get by i do have a theory about that and i will get back i will get back to that uh when we come to it i have a theory about you know his whole retirement spiel and then how he didn't actually retire and i think that i think you know if you imagine writing a series of books like we haven't talked about it but the Buick Gate is connected to the dark tower because what can we can only assume that the car is basically a, a thinny to another world and cars yeah. like this were referenced in um low men in yellow coats as in they were being you know they were 
there were vehicles that were actually monsters and being used by the Crimson King. They were described mm-hmm. as some sort of dragons, and which I find a really cool sort of surreal image. And there is a sense that this vehicle is alive in some way. Mm-hmm. And so, it, again, this is another Dark Tower story. But if you can imagine being an author and you have a series of books that you're writing, like think of George R. R. Martin now, the amount of stress and pressure he must feel under to complete the book series and the TV show's done, mm-hmm. you know? And have that weighing on your head. And King could often get letters from, you know, fans saying, when are you going to finish The Dark Tower? And he didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so it must feel like to get this book, to get the series done would have mean that, like, you know, he's he's done in some ways with writing because to him, certainly, he he believes The Dark Tower to be the centre of all his fiction. Mm. So it must have been a massive pressure on him to do this. And the fact that the accident happened, you get a yeah. sense that he's really gunning for it. So I, you do. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. And I, I think you spoke about it felt like, <clears throat> yeah, this is that book. And following on from a, a number of books, really, since, you know, um, in the noughties, where mm-hmm. it feels like there's more of this melancholy, this nihilism. Um, and, and, you know, our, our friend Grady Hendrix says, what makes Buick feel like the end of everything is the melancholy sundown mm. atmosphere that hangs over the whole book, which is all about the failures of writing, the failures of story, and the failures of fiction. Now, we'll see as we progress, you know, fast forward about 20 years or so, um, you know, a book like Billy Summers that we'll, we'll cover in a few episodes down the line. Three years down the line. <laughs> yeah, is is very much a, uh, it's a study of fiction and it's very interesting to see where King is at, you know, in his 70s now when he talks about the craft of fiction. Mm-hmm. And it feels in a very different place from the headspace that we find here in uh, from a Buick 8. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels like a really important book because it seems like a real reflection of um, where King's at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we as a book, I mean, there, there I do enjoy it, but I do have some problems with it. I mean, there is a massive cast of characters here, but they really don't stand out very well. You know, we have Shirley who works in the dispatch and there's Sandy who's telling the story to Ned of his father. And at some point, Sandy gives the narrative over to, you know, other characters and they kind of don't really have a lot of dimension to them to stand out. I mean, there's lots of names here being used, but really all I can think about even when I was reading it was the story. I'm being told a story, but I don't necessarily know who by or who these people are. And I think for me, that was one of the the sort of negatives of this book. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we come to King for great characterization and I can I can understand that you're not going to get it every single time because the amount of books he's published, we're not going to get, you know, our favorite characters every single book or even characters that may stand out. And the whole point of the story seems to be the focus on this car, this this what is this, the what if question of what the hell is this thing? Is it a creature? Is it a gateway? What is it? What happens to the thing that people have gone into it and disappeared? And what happens to the things that have come out that slowly sort of wilt away into nothingness? Um, you know, the mystery, I think, is engaging for that reason. And um, and that's that's where it's the, where it's strongest. Yeah, are we We're, beginning our dark tower journey? I, have, I, I think, I think we shall. I think we shall. <laughs> All right, so, strap, strap yourself in. Let's do it. Let's walk along that beam. Yeah, let's walk along the beam. And oh my goodness, I'm going to annoy so many dark tower fans, aren't I? With my 
<laughs> so you could only talk your truth, you know. Yeah, That's... Unfortunately, I can only do so. Um, so the first one we have up is Wolves of Kala, um, which is the first of three books that King would literally publish back to back. That were the Dark Tower, the end of the Dark Tower series, a seven book series that had been going on for since the eighties. Um, as I've said, my personal preference for the Dark Tower books are always the books that are a bit more isolated in their story. Like Drawing of Three is simply a story about drawing of three people. Um, the Wizard in Glass is a story about Roland and his first love and what he did in his first kind of mission. Um, Wolves of Kala, there, King spends a lot of time in this book setting up i feel it's there's less story here and more plot points for me because he's all the dark tower books that have previously been published they've always he's always let them the ideas come to him when he can't release them can't get rid of them he has to write them down whereas this king come to it with the desire i have to finish this now and i feel it affects the story because rather than have a sort of a organic sort of transition from into the next book there feels like Wolves of Kala in some ways is like a retcon and it's the build-up of of the and like there's a lot of Easter eggs being planted here for the end of the series that for me really I struggle with. And I spend that we spend a lot of time here, you know, palavering and being told things and you know, by say a character that comes in from another book. You know, it feels like you can understand why King is often talked about he would like to go back and rewrite everything and edit mm. everything because mm. The first four books feel like their own series. And then yeah. for me, last three feel like their own series. Um, Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, total sense. I mean, it's the Dark Tower. The, it, 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 is pro, it is problematic, okay? Because for me, we start off obviously with the Gunslinger, which is a harsh introduction, as we've said. And you've got the drawing of the three that just absolutely flies. Um, and, you know, Wastelands, I could do with some editing. And then Wizard and Glass, which is just absolute beauty. And these three that came, you know, one after the other uh, in the 2000s, it just you use the phrase it seems like a lot and it's it does it feels like there's the wheels start to come off a little bit for my for my taste because what happens is king starts to really acknowledge the influences on the story so i'm trying to get lost in the story which if we strip it down you know horrific about you know child abductions and what costs to keep a community um what happens to a community when it's under stress does it sacrifice itself or um turn on its vulnerable what do we do with with you know our our most vulnerable members of our community Um, and then you know these this dark foe that we know there's this countdown. It's just a matter of every page we turn that, you know, it's getting closer and closer to this epic battle and decisions have to be made. Uh, The Song of Susanna, I do think of all of King's work is possibly the most divisive. Mm. Um, It's definitely the most heat I ever see in debates. And that's great. That's a good thing, right? Because you want that. You want that to everyone to have their reads, their opinions upon it. Um, But it's very much, you know, this one for me, you've got the great shootout scene, haven't you, in this one, Jamie, which is just brilliant. It reminds me again of King's not lost his touch for action and building up a set piece. That whole shootout scene uh, is just... In our world. Brilliant. Yeah, in our world. 
and Roland's there and some really cool new older characters we meet and it's just built up perfectly. So I love all of that. And it reminded me of the way he did it in those first 80 pages of The Regulators. You know, this man has not lost a single moment of sharpness and muscularity in no, describing action. And I just, I want more of that. Yeah, so, you want more of that, don't you? And that's the, the, <laughs> the that piercing problem I see is there. Because the moment you mm. cut down Amir, it's like, slow. Oh. We, take, we take a pause. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's just it's very convoluted and complicated, isn't it? My my walk along the beam, I mean, it's so expansive, obviously, and there's so much beauty within it. And I've lost myself so wonderfully within the story of the Dark Tower. But yeah. there's absolutely been moments of just sheer frustration, you know, where it feels like, you know, I'm going along the beam and then I get knocked off because I'm going, hang on a minute, just head scratching. And on a few times around now, I'm like, I don't think it's necessarily us going, hang on, wait, does this add up? It just, there's bits where it just feels very lost. Um, and yes. this for me is the most problematic of all of the, all of the um, Dark Tower books. Now, yeah. I much yeah. prefer the win. We're talking slight books. I much preferred the little linchpin of win through the keyhole. I thought that, you know, w yeah. was much more entertaining as a story. Yes. As someone who's recently reread it. Uh, yeah, absolutely agree. Mm. It's just, it's, it's con. It's just, I think the, the difference between that story and this is King was inspired to write that story. Whereas this is a story where this, you know, where he, the plot has to go in this direction. You know, Winsu yeah. Kilo has the has the privilege of not being attached to the Dark Tower in any serious way, so he can do whatever he wants to do with mm -hmm. those characters. But with this, um, you know, I think he's very led by inspiration as well. But also, when that inspiration hits, he feels that that's the way the story has to go, yeah. and maybe there's a bit of unadaptability to changing and a bit of fluidity that could have been placed in here. I don't know. It'd be very difficult, these three books, because I imagine when he sent this this story to the publisher, it was one book. It wasn't, yeah. you know, he didn't have them divided into these sections, you know, as they stand. I think this was just all one big book that he, you know, this is the final mm -hmm. thing. And maybe if it had been, I don't think he could even try to release it like that, but um, maybe it would make that's why it made, for me like when I read it the first time I read all the Dark Tower in order I didn't read them you know within the publication order so I just started the Gunslinger and worked my way through to book yep, set yep, likewise. and I was completely encapsulated with the characters that I was just bound along that journey and yeah they had the bits had ebbs and flows for me but I didn't really notice it as much when I was reading them on the reread and you know and had ta you know it was a it was a and an, an revisiting those characters and stuff that I was able to notice the sort of the points where the plot sort of it becomes too complicated and it becomes a bit convoluted mm. um, I yeah. mean and you know so much of it I mean for me I really you know again just me as a reader what I'm into I really struggled with Tolkien um, just for me I, I never got on with it um, I tried tried a number of times but I just didn't um, again each to their own but I know obviously you can't escape the Tolkien breadth and, and scope of, of this novel uh, well of this saga the Dark Tower saga but it just feels in these last three and I remember finishing Susanna thinking okay final book let's get things back on track and it's a 
yeah, it's a curious one, the final book. Um The Dark Tower itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's where such do, a mixed bag. Yeah, where do you how how did it affect you? Um, first time round, I was I so I read it for the characters. So the first time round, mm. I was absolutely sort of jaw on the floor for everything that goes on with those characters. And I really did love the final Dark Tower book. I thought it was uh, a great note on the whole, you know, Roland, Eddie, Jake, Susanna, Oi. I thought it was I loved it for those things. Yeah, for me, Jamie, it's like, you know, go back and take this back, make it a trilogy. Um, I mean, wow, because I think there's just so much padding and it does just lose its way. And do you think yeah. it's what 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 do you think was the impetus for King to, you know, finish these three books? Was there, you know, because again, as we said, there wasn't this huge demand for it, right? I mean, I think it's pressure he put himself. I think he views these these books as much more. I think he enjoys these books much more than what I do or what most of the fans do. I think he he likes the idea that everything is connected in his universe. Mm. And I think King's such an instinctive writer that he, in some ways, the Dark Tower is like him trying to put give a reasoning to why all his books are connected in some way. And they're sort of there's sort of a, a a completist kind of enjoyment there you would have with yeah. this series in that, you know, right, everything's done, neat bow, Roland's met the Dark Tower, I can stop now. And and I actually think, you know, the next book, the, the first book after the Dark Tower, The Colorado Kid, a very, very slight tale, but I look at it as a new era for King because mm. it's the first book he's written without the weight of this series over his head because you as again you imagine it's a massive task to do any sort of series of yeah. books even sequels but the idea that you're every time that king say i'm writing dolores claiborne i'm choosing not to write the next dark tower book which i have left open for you know the story is not finished but i'm going to tell this other story that will be finished within one book and then i'm going to tell another and another and another and then you know so I think there's sort of he wants to finish it, and the idea that the weight is off him. These the next couple of the next decade of King, he feels like he's free to work with whatever he wants. <laughs> that idea of retirement, I can understand why he didn't retire because, yeah, you know, a, a mind like his being so creative, his his being so prolific as his, you know, the ideas would just come, and the idea that they he didn't have this weight hanging over him. He could write whatever he wanted then. He could spend whatever amount of time he wanted on these and whatever stories he wanted. Mm. And the accident had, you know, he he had moved away from the accident. Now this is in the two this is 2005. Yeah. You know, there's several years between it. He had written in books, those really dark books like Dreamcatcher, like From a Buick Gate, Black House, that had this sort of melancholy to them. And now he feels like he's getting onto the other side. The Colorado kid. Very slight story published with um, Hard Case Crime, which is a publisher that publishes um, stories that are from, written from the you know the forties and fifties and sixties. These sort of hard boiled novels that have been sort of forgotten about. They brought them back and they asked Stephen King because they knew he was a fan of them. Would he write something for them? And I think they actually asked him to write a forward. And he says, no, but I'll write you a novel instead. And it's called The Colorado Kid. Mm. And it is linked to the the, ther- the threads, the themes of From a Buick Gate, that sometimes you don't always get an answer to the story. Because mm. in this, The Colorado Kid is a man who is, well, there's a dead body that was found on Little Toil Island. 
the location of um, Dolores Claiborne. Dolores, yeah. And he's found by these two teenagers, and um, and it's just this: these two journalists, these two elderly journalists that work in Little Toil Island and write the newspaper there, telling this sort of new um, new journalist that's coming along, who's uh, there for work experience, that sometimes stories don't have endings, <laughs> and, uh, and don't have endings that satisfy, and it's kind of King sort of nudging a wink to his audience that yeah. you know that for any time that you know and he's always done that you know people his audience has got angry with misery because they thought he was talking about them about fans being overzealous and fans weren't happy with like the endings of certain books like from a Gate fans some fans weren't endi- uh, happy with the ending of the dark tower so it's kind of a wee nudging a wink to them to say like life doesn't have happy endings all the time and sometimes it doesn't explain its mysteries at all either and it just goes on. <laughs> and uh, so interesting. We spoke, didn't we, about, yeah, you know, on the back of kind of the the huge disgorging of <laughs> needful things came Dolores and Gerald's mm-hmm. game. And so he's just spent years and three years of the Dark Tower. Yeah. So the fact that this comes out now, and I think, you know, one of the smallest um, page counts, it's really slim, isn't it? It's it's yeah. really, uh, again, just you mentioned the word freedom. <laughs> uh, a, a sense maybe, because King said, you know, when he finished the Dark Tower uh, saga, he said he was satisfied, but he also said he could put down his pen because he had a weary hand. I definitely get that sense of weight, and and this must be a perfect reaction to it. Yeah. It's almost like him commenting on his own, la- you know, the story. Because not just the last three books, but you have to, last six books right. have all been connected to the Dark Tower. And, you know, the short story collections, Black House from a Buick 8. And then you've got all the stories in the 90s that are connected to it. Rose Matter, Insomnia, all the ones yeah. we've already gone through. Um, so it, it this thing was weighing on his head to a cer- certain degree even before the accident and the fact that it's finally finished. I mean, the fact that, because I feel like everything is connected to the Dark Tower so much in the 90s and the early noughties. The mm. fact that, that he doesn't have to do that anymore, that it's done, that it's finished, that there's a stamp on it in his head. It, he just, he starts talking, the stories that he now goes on to write are so interesting because of it. It's like, he's free to have whatever idea he wants and he doesn't have to connect it to them at all or <laughs> universe at all. And I love that about the stories that are, that are coming up that we get to talk about. Yeah. And um, I, I read a review of this in, in the Guardian that said, um, it kind of encapsulates everything we've spoken about today, which is about from a Buick 8 brought one part of King's career to an end. He just recovered from being hit by a van. So that book is suffused with pain and a sense that the world has ended. The Colorado Kid is the first faint stirrings among the grave dirt. The twitching fingers that indicate the victim may not be dead yet. (laughs) It's a five-fingered exercise, a little noodle on the piano keys to warm up his fingers before King brings the world to an end again, but this time for fun, in his next novel, Cell. So now we're going to do our ratings now. (laughs) 
<laughs> again, I have a feel there's going to be quite a bit of heat in this uh, episode. And uh, again, because we're talking about the Dark Tower, how can it be anything other than that? Um, so we're going to share our ratings. So yeah, everything's eventual. 14 Dark Tales. Jamie, what, 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 it, what does it get from you? 3.5 for 3. me. 3.5. Shall we say standout short stories for ourselves? Yep, go for it. Road virus heads north. Yeah. Uh, 1.14.08. Uh, and the Little Sisters of Illyria. Fantastic stories. Yeah, lovely. And I'm going to go for a three for that one. Uh, mm. Ones that stand out. Yeah, Road Virus. Absolutely. Autopsy, Gotham Cafe and Death Room uh, it, 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 it is a nasty little tale um, mm. with a brilliant payoff at the end. From a Buick 8 is next. From a Buick 8. So from Buick 8. So I really, really loved it. Um, first time I read it. Um, again, because of the relationship with the frailty and the fragility and the cast of characters he builds around it becomes for me more than say the car itself. The car mm. is <laughs> literally the vehicle for this character study and there's a darkness to it that I think is really honest of King. So I'm, I'm going for 3.5. I went for three. Uh, I actually, I think my first read, it was like four stars for it. I really mm. enjoyed it. But on reread, I just, I, I, my memory was the characters were amazing. And then when I went back to it, I struggled to, to remember, to just keep an eye on who yeah. was who. And it was just sort of a, a list of names. So, mm. uh, so three for me. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, boom. The Dark Tower, Wolves of the Keller. 2.5 stars for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my least favourite of the of all the books in the series. It just spends so much time feeling like it's setting up a series books to come rather than telling a story for me. Mm, mm. For me, it's a three. What works is the reintroduction of uh, some characters we know and love and, and the setting itself, the premise itself, I think is really powerful. Um, but again, there's far too much padding and it starts to go, it uh, starts to navel gaze far too much for me. Uh, next one is Song of Susanna. And that's oh, a three for me. Actually, that's a three. I, yeah, I like it more. But just because this, I think it helps that it's smaller. Mm you get to the ending quicker and I think mm. the characters are doing more it's more the characters that I'm enjoying and it, their story is more condensed and at a high, faster pace than Kala mm. yep for me it's a one I, it, <laughs> it, it drove me nuts this book um, I, I love the I love the shootout uh, 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 and that absolutely is fantastic the rest of it is just uh <laughs> infuriating yeah infuriating and 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 i found it really i didn't want it to go in that direction uh and jamie the dark tower seven the final one 3.5 stars for me yeah you know uh, there was a time when i read this i think i would have put it in my top 10 but now mm. um and that would have been for the emotional payoff of some of the characters and yeah. the loss i felt for them but now i haven't reread it and read the other elements of it those moments still stand out but the other elements really drag it down yeah, yeah. And I'm going for a three. Uh, again, I think there's some standout moments within it and for sense of uh, uh, of place and this almost catharsis. It's definitely there. Uh, but again, just needed some really sharp editing and um, the deus ex machina, I, I still have a problem with. Um, but that's my problem, <laughs> not King's. <laughs> I think he's done very well <laughs> with the Dark Tower. And uh, But yeah, 
need another twist around it. It, it, it I still can't hold on to that ending, you know. Um, but maybe Colorado that's the, kid. That's the whole point, maybe. Colorado kid, I've not done so. Um, that's right. Three stars for me. It's too, stars, yeah. it's too slight to be anything more than that because mm. it just, but I enjoyed what I read, you know. It's just not, you know, it's just well, one of those things. It's like that. There's there's books you read and you're like that's perfectly serviceable and that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it sounds like almost like a dark tower chaser, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a, a nightcap to finish off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then building things up for you know 2006 sell, which we're going to dive into that and a number of other books in the second half of the first decade of the 2000s in our next episode. Right. Well, Jamie, I hope no one knows where you or I live because... Um, uh, <laughs> People will be coming now. <laughs> <laughs> the wolves the wolves are coming. <laughs> Better start to sharpen your plates, buddy. Uh, Jamie, as always, such a, such a trip uh, through the decades with you, my friend. Thank you so much, mate. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, buddy. King Size was written and presented, edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at Kingsize Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show. <laughs>